Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke uh, today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about sharing with you today, and we've got, uh, we've got some, I've got some interesting things to share with you. And I've just got, I've just got such as, it's like I was sharing with you a little early as we sang, and when we sang the, the, the song called Overcome. And, you know, when you look at it, and when you think about what this series is about, the strength to overcome, it sounds pretty, you know, generic, you know, okay, strength to overcome, okay, got it, got it, got it, you know. But, but when we begin to look at it, it it's a powerful concept, um, and, and you'll see it. You'll see what I want, want to talk about today. Last week, we, we started this uh, series to overcome, and there's this thought as we started last week about, about what does that mean? What, what, is, what, is, what, is, what does that look? Because Solomon, Solomon in the scriptures wrote about it. Solomon, we talked about this last week. If you weren't able to be here last week, I really need you to either go back and listen to it because I need to get you on that footing and to understand what we're talking about. I'll give you a little bit of a recap now, but there's no way that we can cover all of what we talked about last week. But, but Solomon, who, was a, who, was, who asked God for wisdom to rule, uh, and, and he was David's son, King David's son, and he asked wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, great wisdom, uh, to be able to, ru- to, to rule justly and fairly. And so, but Solomon was doing real well for a while. I mean, Solomon was doing real well. And uh, he, was, he was basically content. You know, God created you to be content. And I don't think there's anything that messes you up quite as much as becoming discontent, right? Because it's discontent that causes us to do different things or change things. And so discontent drives you. Why? Because God created you to want to be content, right? That makes sense. And he also created you, right, to have a relationship with him. And then that's where that contentment's going to come from. Therefore, it says in the scriptures, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has made beautiful everything in its own time, and he's also, he's put, he's put eternity in your hearts. Okay? So what does that mean? That means you think different than anything else he created. You think long term. Every one of you in the room, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're an atheist or not, you do think, okay, now what happens what happens after this? You know, that you just think that way. Why? Because God created you for that. The reason you think that way, the reason contentment is such a big deal, and the reason you think that way is because that's the way you were created. And so when you put those together, Solomon, he was doing real well, and, uh, and, and he was content with the Lord, but it, he decided that he was going to try other stuff, right? And a record of his trying other stuff is found in Ecclesiastes. I told you it is the most depressing book in all of the Bible, all right? Ecclesiastes, because this guy recorded uh, things that he tried and he just happened to be so, you know, he, he was having to be so smart, but also he just happened to have so many resources that he was able to do and try everything. So we talked about this last week, and he began to go down and to fill, try to fill his life with all this different stuff. 
And so he tried, you know, it says there last week, we talked about last week, that pleasure. And he was like, he said, I, I did not withhold anything my eyes desired. And he tried, tried that. He tried alcohol, right? Remember we talked about last week? He, uh, he, tried, he, tried, uh, he tried sex. He tried uh, entertainment, right? Singers, remember, in the entertainment. He tried ambition. He tried achievement. He, he undertook great projects. He built, he built all kinds of houses and palaces, right? He amassed great amount of wealth. And he, he had all this stuff and he, he went from thing to thing and he kept ending it by saying it was just all meaningless. He says, every time I got to something or had something, it was okay for a while, but then it was the law of diminishing returns and pretty soon it wasn't it, so I had to move on to something else. And so he did all of this stuff. This was last week, but I just got to get you to the heart of last week. He said, I did all this stuff. And he said, it was all vanity. It never truly met the need I was looking for in here. And the thing that's so cool about that is that that's every one of us in the room. Every one of us in the room knows, okay, unless you're just so young, you haven't figured it out yet. But even if you've got a little bit of wisdom and young, you can realize, okay, even if I got to that place, that's not what I'm looking for. So, and so it came to the point to where Solomon said in the verse, the last verse we talked about last week, it said, so I hated life. And I'm like, Solomon, really? One of the smartest people who ever lived. He immersed himself in education too. Also, we talked, to, talked about, he, he had all, all of this stuff. And so many things, People think, well, if I had all of that, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because there's nothing temporary in this world that's going to fill the eternal need you have in here. At most, it just leaves you feeling, you know, empty, right? And so, and so that's where we came to today. That's where I wanted to talk to you about this particular thought of, of then what is it that, that makes that happen? And, and when we look at it, when you think about it, it truly is a remarkable thing uh, when you look and when you see that he's put eternity in our hearts and that we yearn for those things. You know, in a, and let me share with you one other verse. It says in, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want you to hear this. This is something that, that Paul said. It says that all things are lawful for me. That is, whatever. I can have all things. It says, but it says, but all things are not helpful. The old, some of the other translations calls it expedient. That means if you're going on a long journey, you can take along a whole lot of stuff, but it'll just weigh you down and it's not real helpful. It's not that it's bad, but it, it's heavy, right? So all things are lawful, he's saying, but all things are not what's best. That is helpful. But the next part is what I want you to say. It says, all things are lawful. This is Paul talking. I mean, this is the, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. And he said, all things are lawful for me. He says, but I'm not going to be mastered, dominated, ruled by anything. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So the things that we turn to, like what Solomon was seeing, 
these different things he would turn to, you know, at first he would have them. But then what would happen is, is that then they would have him. Those things would get their hooks in him. And before long, it, it, not only was it not, it was making him discontent, he couldn't quit because I'm not going to be mastered by anything. So I want you to think about that for a second. I'm not going to be mastered by anything. So Paul says I'm free. If you're a believer here today, okay, if you're a believer here today, I want you to know that you are free. You've been set free. But as I shared with you a little bit earlier, there's a difference between being free and living free. Right? You know, Jesus said, I've come, we talked about this last week at the very end, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Okay, but that only happens as you learn to live free. But believers like Solomon, it's easy for us to get caught up in all of the stuff. And while we are free, we wind up getting involved and putting ourselves in situations and those things get their hooks in us. And all of a sudden we can't live free. So being free and living free, two are totally different things. But you obviously have to be free in order to live that way. Okay? And we have all been there. Every one of us. So what happens then? I'll tell you what, there is no greater thing in the world to live free from things, not being mastered by anything. But the problem is, is that in, obviously, in other words, you have, to, you have to know what that means. That's why we're talking about the strength to overcome. So someone who is a believer in Christ, Jesus said, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength, the strength to overcome, right? But in and of yourself, it'll just leave you to dependence on something else, right? And it doesn't have to be a destructive thing, or at least per se. The problem is it'll just be temporary. I mean, how many times do we try different things, you know, and and we, we try this thing, we think, oh, man, that is so cool. You know, or we get this relationship, you know, with this person, you know, dating relationship or anything else. Oh, he or she, they're the greatest, and they're what I've been looking for, and they're whatever, 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 whatever. And then, and then all of a sudden, after you've been with them all, you find out, okay, that's not as great as I thought it was. The problem is they don't have what it takes to fill that place in you. And it's almost cruel to demand somebody to fill that place because they don't have what it takes. They just will never have what it takes and nothing will ever have what it takes. So what does that look like? You know, it's funny. The difference, I always like for you to understand things and illustrations help the best. The difference between being free and living free. Okay, I had, I had a dog growing up and, and her name was Muffet, okay? I didn't name the dog, okay? But it was given to me by my grandfather. It was a stray he found out in the country, and he gave it to me. And my parents obviously were thrilled. And so, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Grandparents do those types of things. And I'm looking forward to doing those types of things. All right. Uh, but anyway, when we lived in Nashville, I lived in Nashville for lots of years. But when we lived in Nashville, um, 
we lived kind of in a rural area, so there was no leash law back at that time. And so the dogs just kind of ran, right? And so she was great. But when my dad got transferred to Memphis, he was an air traffic controller. Uh, there was a leash law. You just couldn't let dogs run in the neighborhood. And so, so we had a backyard that was fenced in, but, but Muffet wouldn't stay in the backyard. And um, she didn't really jump the fence. She, she could climb it. She was an unbelievable dog. All right. And so we had to chain her, right? Stake in the middle, you know, let's just call it a 10 foot. It could have been eight to 10 foot uh, chain. And so she had this little circle that she could run in, all right? And it was actually kind of sad, to be honest with you. I mean, we tried to take her on walks and other things, but it's just harder. And she was a big dog. And so, um, but y'all know how it is, you know? You had this green grass in the backyard, and then you had this circle of dirt. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you haven't ever had that happen, that's what it was. And so, um, you know, and, and for years, you know, it was just the way we had to do it. For years, she was chained back there. And you know, the interesting part about it is that you could go out back after the several years, you could go out back and, um, you know, to play with her or whatever, and I could unchain her. And she'd never leave the circle because she'd become so used to the circle that she began to depend on the circle. And while she was free, she didn't know anymore what it meant to live free. Does that make sense? There's a difference between being free and learning to live that way. You see, Christ, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Okay, so you've been set free, but there's more to it than that. He wants you to live free. That's why Paul said, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what is it that you're trusting in? What is it that you're depending on to come through? That's the thing that has its hooks in you. Why? Because there's nothing in this life that's going to truly come through for you here. And we know it to be the truth, but we keep trying the next thing, thinking, oh, this is going to be it, this is going to be it, this is going to be it. So that's what I want to talk to you about today, because Jesus, uh, Jesus did a sermon, and it's the, it's the longest sermon that we have of Jesus in the Bible, he, and he addresses this, not just being free, but learning to live that way. I bet you've never really seen it, because a lot of times people read through it, and they don't catch it. I mean, you can read through this sermon that Jesus spoke, and you can read through it in 25 seconds, but it's just as easy to miss the whole thing. It's commonly known as the Beatitudes, right? But most of the time, people just say, blessed are the blessed are the blessed are the blessed are, and then they move on. But they fail to see what Christ is telling us. And this whole picture of the strength to overcome. I am not going to let these things in my life, okay, master me. And it is so easy because that's what our world, our whole world does something, you know. You read the bumper stickers, life is whatever. Life is sports. Life is baseball. Life is crocheting. I don't know what. Life is fishing. Life is whatever. Whatever it is that you're counting on, okay, that's what becomes God little G for you. That's what you begin, and before long, you have it, but then it begins to have you. 
I remember that in my life, as when I was not a believer, uh, football was, was God little G for me, and I would have done anything to keep it. And after my third surgery, and basically a brain bleed, I would have kept playing. Why? Because I didn't have it anymore. It had me. Does that make sense to you? I just want you to see it. Because most people would consider football as being, oh, that's a great outlet. I don't know, it can be a pretty cruel taskmaster, right? Be a pretty cruel taskmaster. So what is it? You were made for a lot more than the temporary. That's why you'll never be satisfied with anything that's temporary. Interesting, huh? Well, that's what these are all about. So I'm gonna spend the whole day today right? I'll spend the whole day today just talking to you about just one of them. And basically the title today is getting a good look at yourself, right? I have found that most people don't have the courage to look at themselves. Um, and I'm not talking about physically, okay? A lot of times we don't have the courage to look at ourselves physically, right? I don't know about you, but I have this vision in my brain of what I look like, But every time I look at the mirror, it blows it up. <laughs> you know, I remember what I looked like in my 20s, and somehow I still think walking around I look like that until that dumb mirror tells me different, right? So it's just best to avoid the mirror, right? Just live in a fantasy world. But that's not according to the truth. So the question here, most people don't have the courage, but if you want to learn to live free, you got to take a look at yourself. Okay? You have to take a look at yourself. That's the first beatitude. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. I'm going to spend this entire time just talking about that and getting just all of us in the room to understand one phrase. I'm going to illustrate it a hundred different ways. We might not have that many, but if I can get you to get this one phrase, then it's the, it's, it's the beginning to the road of living free. Living free. Okay, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew chapter, stay in the Luke. I'll be right back. I'll be there in just a minute. But the Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the sermon I was telling about that Jesus taught. And here's the first one, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And seeing the crowds, that he went on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and here it is. Here's the first one. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is what represents the eternal. Okay, but what does it mean? First of all, let's just walk through. What does the word blessed mean? Some of your translations may say happy. It's not a great translation. I mean, some one time somebody called them the be happy attitudes, and they totally missed out on the entire point. Happiness is usually governed by your circumstances. So if happiness, happiness can come and go. I like the word content or peace better. I like, really like the word content because it says content are those, because you can be content and not be happy. That's why Paul said, I have learned in any and every circumstance therewith to be content. So therefore, circumstances are, not, circumstances are not going to control contentment if you find it, right? Because the things that come and go in this life is not what you're counting on. 
You see, guys, football was a god little G for me. And after the third surgery and I couldn't play anymore, my life was a disaster for a while because I didn't care. Why? Because I was counting on something that couldn't come through for me. It was temporary. And if you're counting on temporary things in your life to come through for you, you're cruising for a bruising one day. Why? Because nothing ever stays the same and nothing's ever permanent. Does it, I, th- I think you're catching on. All right. So blessed are, content are, first of all, it says the poor in spirit. All right. I'm going to spend the rest of the time today getting you to understand. Can you put it back up there? Getting you to understand that phrase, poor in spirit. I'm convinced most people don't know what it means. Okay. Because you have to see it. It has to do with everything what we're talking about today. All right. First of all, the word poor. Okay. The word poor. There, you got to love the Greek language, okay? Uh, that's what the New Testament was written in. Uh, and I, I learned Greek when I was in school, and it was such a great thing. Greek actually clicked for me. Uh, Hebrew was a nightmare, but Greek clicked for me, and I picked up on it pretty fast. But the thing about Greek is that Greek has a, an extensive vocabulary. It probably has three to four times as vocabulary as English does. So it's a highly descriptive language. Therefore, the word poor, okay, the word poor is, there are five Greek words for the word poor, okay? Now, first thing I want to talk to you about is the definition, okay? There are three things I want to talk to you about today. Well, not today. Only one I'm going to talk to you about today. Two and three will be next week, all right? Number one, this is all I want to talk to you. Can I put it up there? This definition is poor. Get it? Poor. What does that word poor mean? Well, there are five words for it, and it is, the, it, is the, it is the word poor that means bankrupt. You know, there are sometimes the word poor you can use that they're poor, but they, they can still provide for themselves. They're, they can still eat it, just they're very poor. But this word poor is the word for destitute or bankrupt. Bankrupt, the word bankrupt means it means that you have so many debts that you never have any hope of paying them back. Destitute is, is that you are so poor and there's nothing you can do to help yourself, right? In other words, if somebody else doesn't step in and, and rescue you from it, then, then you don't have any hope. So this word poor here, and we're not talking about poor financially, That's why it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, so someone who is bankrupt in and of themselves. Sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? How can those who are spiritually bankrupt be blessed? Well, it has to do with the understanding. It has to do with seeing it. And I'm going to go ahead and let you in on it. The reason this is so important is that those who see that they're bankrupt, they're the ones that are going to, they're the ones that are going to run to who God is. Those that somehow think that, oh, I can still do this or my way is still the best way for me and all that, then, you know, just go do your plan. But those are the ones that are never going to see it. And Jesus tells a parable to explain this word poor in spirit. And I just want you to understand it. 
Jesus told stories so that people could, number one, understand, number two, remember. You may never remember poor in spirit, but you'll remember the story. I have an illustration in a minute. minute. You will remember the illustration, I promise you. It's just the way it works. So let's go through Jesus' story to understand what he's saying is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are bankrupt in and of themselves. All right, here we go. All right, Luke chapter 18. I had you turn to it. This is the one we're going to talk about. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It says, he also told this parable. What's a parable? A parable is a fictitious story that has a meaning so that you can understand something possibly you couldn't understand before. So he told this parable, and this is the ones he told it to. He told it to those who trusted in themselves. Okay. Therefore, he was telling this to those people who are not poor in spirit, those that think they're rich in spirit. Okay. Those who think that they're, I'm a good person. Okay? I'm better than most. Okay? That's who he's telling the parable. Okay? He says, he told this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. Okay? And here's the problem, and that they treated others with contempt. I have found that those who live this way, they almost have an insatiable desire to run everybody else down. Isn't that something? So if you want to take an honest look at yourself, do you catch yourself speaking bad about others often? That's what I'm telling you. Taking an honest look at yourself is not for the faint at heart. It's it's a tough one. But the question is, do you want to know? Oh, no, Lord, I just want to keep thinking I look like when I lived when I was 25. Oh, not looking at that mirror ever again. Okay, that's fine if you want to go that way. But the truth sets you free, not a lie. So the question is here, he's wanting you to understand, do you realize that you're poor in spirit, no matter what you might think about yourself? Right? Tough one, but a good one. Don't lose me here. So it goes on to say, so he said those to those, and they treated everybody else with contempt. Okay? And here's his story. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. And Jesus used two people. I've used this story several times with you before, uh, but this context is the one I want you to really see. Okay? It says two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I know there's always someone in our service that says, what's a Pharisee? Okay? I think I know what a tax collector is, but what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is a... Is, Jesus used the opposite ends of the, of the social spectrum at the time in which he lived. The Pharisees were highly regarded, highly respected. They were very ultra-religious, ultra-conservative, and that's just who the Pharisees were. They were a religious sect, okay? They were a religious sect, and they believed a lot of things, but it was, it was very solid, okay? They, they had their lives very disciplined, and they went to church, and they, they did a whole lot of things. And in order to be a Pharisee, it was almost like a militant religious group. You had to do certain things and keep up with what the scriptures and all the different things. So, but they were highly respected as being, as being pretty, uh, very, very, if you will, religious, very godly. Okay. Now the tax collector was the exact opposite. Okay. The tax collector was a Jewish guy. Okay. He had to be Jewish because, or he wouldn't have been coming to the temple. But he was a Jewish guy who was employed 
by the Roman government to take taxes. The Roman government did that because it's the Jewish people that would know the other Jewish people. And he could rat on everyone else. Oh, no, no, they've got a lot more than that. They can pay a lot more taxes than that. And so the tax collectors were considered traitors and they were hated, right? They were absolutely hated, but they were wealthy. But they got their wealth from obviously what they were doing. And so, but they were kind of outcasts in society. Okay, just to tell you is that on the social scale, the tax collectors were somewhere below the, the prostitutes, I mean, seriously, in the Bible, it used to call them the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They kind of hung out together, All right? Just so you see it. So Jesus is telling this story for an emotional response. He wants to get a rise out of the crowd he's telling it to, okay? So he says two people went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and they were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. The other was a tax collector. <gasps> you shouldn't even let a tax collector in the temple. Oh, you're going to see what Jesus does with this story, okay? So anyway, so he talks about the Pharisee first. So the Pharisee standing by himself, okay? He's in the temple. He's standing by himself. I've got this picture of, you know, standing in a ray of light somewhere because he thought so much of himself. And he, this is what he prayed. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people are. Does that make sense? Because he sees himself. He's compared himself with everybody else. And by and large, according to his own judgment, he's better than most. I mean, look at all the things he does. I mean, he's got a checklist, brother. And he's checking them off. Right? And here's what other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. He's even got a show and tell item in the temple, right? I mean, he's basically telling God, you're pretty lucky to have me. But to be honest, at least on the outside, his actions showed he was a pretty religious guy, pretty devout anyway. And then he, he tells you about the list of things he doesn't do in verse 11. And then he tells you the list of things he does do in verse 12. And verse 12 says, I fast twice a week. Okay, well, according to the strict rules of the Pharisees, they only had to fast once a week. So this guy was going over and above. I mean, fasting twice a week, my goodness. You've got to be godly if you do that, right? Look else, he, he tithes of all of his possessions. So this is a guy who's got all of the outward stuff. And then Jesus switches to the tax collector. And the guy feels even unworthy to be at the temple. But he's desperate enough to where he's willing to take the chance. You wouldn't believe how many people have said to me, sometimes in a joke, Pastor, I, when I walk in, I just feel so guilty. Believe it or not, that's not a bad way to feel if you look at the story Jesus told. It's like, you know, Pastor, I just, I literally feel that <laughs> the roof might cave in on me if I'm there, you know? You'll see what I mean by that in a minute, because that's the way this guy felt. 
So you have this tax collector, and he's standing afar off, right? He's not standing out in the middle like the other guy is. He's standing afar away. He just steps in the door because he wants to be where he thinks God might be because he knows that's his only hope and his only help. So he steps inside. He's just standing afar off, and he wouldn't even look up. And you've got this Pharisee that's, God, I thank you, I'm not like, you know. And you've got this guy standing afar off, and he won't even look, right? He won't even look up. But it says he beat on his, on his breast. Now, that's a Jewish thing. Uh, Jewish folks at that time did two things. They would, when they were grieving, they would tear their clothes. They still do that today, by the way, which was a picture of their heart breaking, right? And they would, they would beat on their, on their chest, on their breast, which basically meant they're grieving so much their heart is hurting. So you see what Jesus is trying to say about this guy. So he'd been on his breast, and this was his prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus rocked their worlds by saying this statement. He goes on to say, I tell you that this man went down to his house right with God. That's what the word justified means. Just means right. If I, that's the process of making one right. So he was made right. He went to his house right with God while the Pharisee didn't. Interesting. Now, that's not fair, is it? This Pharisee, you know, gosh, he's fasting twice a week. But see, this Pharisee's trusting in himself. This tax collector's predicament made him understand that he was bankrupt in spirit. Therefore, he came to God for grace and mercy. Pharisee came because he thought he deserved it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the ones who can see themselves for who they really are. Because when you see yourself as you really are, it'll drive you to the temple in that story, right? And even if you you stand over to the side, you'll drive yourself and say, Lord, I, I need you. Those are the ones. At least that's what Jesus was saying. Those who will be honest with themselves. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't know. I find that I find that incredible. You know, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I want you to think about this for a second. Paul, who I consider to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. I mean, if you're a Gentile here today and you say, Jeff, what's a Gentile? Well, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, right? And that's me. I'm not Jewish, so I'm a Gentile. The Gentiles have the gospel of Christ today because, mainly because of Paul, right? And Paul, it was amazing what God did to him. And I want you to see, though, in a moment, how Paul described himself. I mean, this is the greatest Christian who ever lived. Take a look at Romans chapter 7, verse 18. It says this. This is Paul talking. Paul's words, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. So when the Pharisee and the tax collector came to the temple, they were both poor in spirit, but only one of them could recognize it. The other was blinded by his own pride. Does that make sense? Which the scripture says is the worst sin of them all. 
but it is the most blinding. And you can't even see yourself. So living in freedom, living in freedom, first of all, is understanding that you're poor in spirit, right? Because you'll never come to him for it without it. Paul himself says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire, says there, he says, I have a desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. And therein lies the reason I called it the strength to overcome. The ability to carry it out. Right? So I don't know. It's just incredible. Let's look at the rest of it. For I do, uh, it says I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, uh, do not want is, is, is what I keep on doing. Anybody right? All right. Paul goes on to say after this, we don't have it up here. He goes on to say after this to say, am I sick or what? And that's my translation. What he said was, a wretched man that I am. And then he goes on to say, but thanks be to God uh, for our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who has delivered me from, from these things. So, it, so even Paul sees it. And he understands it. So when we see ourselves, it's not a fun look, but are you willing to look? Because those that are willing to look are the ones that it says they're going to have the, they're going to have the, they're going to have the easiest time seeing it then. Therefore, the only thing that will keep you from what Christ has to offer in you as far as freedom is your own inability to see yourself. So I spent this entire time today talking about that because I want, I want you to see it. Because so many times people think that the gospel is for, for the tax collector, but the Pharisee is, he's okay because he's, he's living, you know, the way he's living. He's, he's living religiously. In fact, some of the blindest people in the world are the religious people, the ones who have been in church all their life, who somehow think they're better because they haven't done all the things they've heard about other people doing. That's why many times that those who have had lives of open sin that everybody can see, they're the ones that can see it the easiest because they know better than to trust in themselves. I just want you to hear it. They know better than to trust in themselves. You know, our world tells you, you know, they teach you in all these little things, you know. You know, hey, this is the way you need to think, you know. There isn't anything I can't accomplish if I set my mind to it. Well, that's not the truth. It sounds good, okay? I learned really I learned really early on that I was never going to be a world-class sprinter. I mean, look. <laughs> and I don't care how much I set my mind to it. It wasn't happening. You know, I grew up in a family, though. And a lot of people look at this as real positive, and I guess in some ways it is. But we're, we were a try-harder family, right? 
Well, you're just not trying hard enough. Right? You can do it if you just try it harder. Now, sometimes that might be the case. You know, laziness or whatever. I got other things I want to do, whatever. But in this particular case, Paul says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, right? And so as a believer, the picture is through Christ. Therefore, if I put my faith and trust in him, not just for to become a believer, but to follow him. I have an illustration for you um, about, about, about trying harder. Y'all can go ahead and come on out. Uh, can you get through? I've got something I want you. I'm just about to be done, and then I'll get the band back up, up to you. All right, this right here, this, is a, this has become a friend of mine. Um, by the way, this is uh, Caroline Witsy. She raises... She raises uh, chickens. All right, yeah. And uh, y'all know, if y'all don't know Caroline, this is Caroline, all right? Now, this is a British chicken because <laughs> Caroline and Nigel have cool accents, all right? And, uh, and so this is a British chicken. Now, I want you to say, last night I called her Gertrude. Last night I also called him him, which I really messed up on, all right? Because it really messes up the story, all right? But this is, uh, this is Chloe. I want you to meet Chloe. Now, Chloe is, is, is an interesting, obviously, chicken. And, and Chloe, okay, this is an egg. Aren't you glad you came today? All right, <laughs> this is an egg. And every, you know, every day, sometimes, every few days, this is, this is, this is what can happen, right? And, um, and so... This is, this is part of, 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 of being a chicken, I guess. All right. Now, I got something else I'd like to share with you. Right. Yeah. Now, this is an ostrich egg. And you're looking over there? Okay, she's... All right, now, Chloe. If you tried harder, <laughs> and set your mind to it, this is what you could accomplish. Yeah, she shook her head no. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That ain't happening, is it? So it's not the truth, is it? You know, but I understand the concept you know, confidence to, to do what, you know, I understand and not living up to your best. I, I get that. But what I'm trying to say is if Jesus will say, blessed are the poor. And by the way, that's going to be on YouTube and Facebook all afternoon. I can already tell, but me talking to the chicken, but I want you to hear our pastor talks to a chicken. And so, but here's what I want you to hear. All right. You know, the one thing you have to understand is that everyone is poor in spirit, okay? It's not the fact if you are or not. The fact is, do you realize it? And it's a painful gift, but it's one of the best gifts you'll ever get if you can see it. Because it'll drive you to him if you do see it. If not, you'll just keep trusting yourself. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those that don't sue it, don't see it, think they're good enough to deserve it. Those that do see it, head to God for mercy and grace, like the tax collector. One went home right with God, and one went home not right with God. So it's not just coming to know him, it's also living in that freedom. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, and you guys can get ready. And uh, whoever, we probably need to, unless Gerd, Chloe wants to sing along with the band. But as I close today, don't lose that peace. Because as we cover some of these over the next few weeks, it'll begin to dawn on you. You know, I have seen it happen before. The things that we trust in are the things that we sacrifice for. I remember one time that my son was in the third grade and we signed him up for baseball. And I, I was amazed after I was talking to the, you know, he went to a few practices and, and they said that, oh, well, you know, you know we, we're going to be having games on, on Sunday morning. And, I, and I, I was nice. I said, okay, well, you know, Christopher, you know, Christopher is not going to be able to be a part of it. And the coach told me, well, we wouldn't want him to get behind. He's in the third grade, number one. But <laughs> number two, I'm not going to let him make God, baseball his God. You make your choices. Does that make sense? You make your choices in everything you do. Yes, you can have some things, but for long, things get their hooks into you. It's an incredible thing to think about. Freedom. That's what we're gunning for. Why? Because it was for freedom. The crisis says free. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you.